Hello and welcome to The Green Majority on CIUT, or one of our wonderful community partners. I'm M.A. Ma. I'm here in the studio with Stefan Hostetter. And this is a next episode in our Planning to Win series. And we've got some special guests in the studio with us. We have Priyan De Silva and Vicky Jute with us. And you will find out shortly all the things that they've been up to in their organizing lives. So... To kick things off, we're going to start by asking you, Vicki, to tell us a little bit about your vision for the future. What does the world look like in 2100 to you? Paint us a picture. Um, so what I see for the future, I feel that we will be making a, a transition. Some of the things that are already currently happening, happening I, I feel that um, they'll just continue to grow. Uh, so right now we see a transition in our infrastructure, our, our transportation. Um, I, I feel that there will be a lot more electric vehicles, the, uh, fossil fuel uh, cars. There will be a lot less on the road. There will be a transition in our, our public transportation as well. Uh, we will have more walkable communities, uh, more infrastructure for pedestrians and cyclists. See, that's a, like for at least for our, our cities, uh, definitely more walkable, inclusive, and low carbon communities. Well, that all sounds pretty good. I'm going to ask Priyan if he has anything to add to that. Now, is there anything you know in the realm of like sci-fi that you're expecting to see that we haven't we haven't envisioned yet, or maybe have just envisioned but hasn't come into reality? The future. Hmm. Uh, 2100 is, is a long ways away, uh, but uh, I feel the path that we're on now, um, we're going to be a lot happier uh, as, a, as a group of people. Technology-wise, I think it'll continue to improve uh, our lives. It'll bring up our standard of living. There will be barriers and, and issues to deal with with that, but looking at the future, it's more about people being happier. Uh, choices will become a little bit easier to make in terms of being... Um, more comfortable around your environment, being more uh, comfortable um, in nature itself. But uh, technology-wise, we'll continue to grow as well, and, and I see a, a happier group of humans. Well, that's really optimistic. Now, purposefully, I didn't introduce what you guys work on, and you do a lot of people-centered work. So just thinking about that focus on local groups and organizing, what does that look like in the future, Vicky? Like, do you still see people getting together and having to mobilize around the same kinds of issues that we're working on today? Like, what, what do you see in the future for organizing? Uh, earlier when you, you did mention 2100, for some reason I was thinking 2021. So <laughs> I wasn't even thinking that far in the future. Um, but re with regards to organizing, as humans, we will still continue to, to organize. It, it just might take a different shape, look and feel. I, I feel that we will definitely be organizing and mobilizing, but it might be through different realms. Um, it might be more uh, through the internet or more virtual. So building on not having to always be physically present, but having other ways to make us feel present together. So now that you know that I'm, I'm talking about a longer time horizon, 2100, is there, is there anything else that you want to like, just like blow apart or like blow our minds with your imagination around 2100? I'd say it's my hope uh, that we would have come to 
some kind of equilibrium with our, our planet. We are living in harmony with the ecologically sensitive areas, and I would still love to see closer-knit, walkable communities, uh, but I, I think the, the look of that will definitely be different. Our walkable communities will be mixed, mixed dwellings, uh, the, the way that we live. Uh, everything, all the services that we need is, is right there, and, um, and I guess as Priyan mentioned, uh, just happiness. There, there'll always be uh, a need to evolve and become even more civilized. I, it, it's actually my hope that we can come to a place where there, there's just more kindness, there's more empathy and compassion, and just living on a, a planet that has more of, of those things, like love, mm. um, that will create a, a happier future for everyone. You know, Vicky, I really appreciate how I, you know, I was trying to, like, get you to sort of share again your vision for the future. And I talked about blowing things up and then you immediately went to living, living in equilibrium with the, the planet. So I think I applaud that contrast. Yeah. That, that came out sounding really militaristic and you've really painted like uh, a beautiful, harmonious picture. Um, so Priyan, what are those key pathways to becoming more empathetic, happier human beings? What What is the role of technology? Is it a force for good? Is it a force for evil? When you look at where you want us to arrive, what role does technology play in that? If we want technology to be a part of a value system that brings happiness to our society, we have to respect it. We have to understand that technology is something that is becoming more intrinsic in our lives. We we have our personal electronic devices every day. You know, how, what would make us feel happy? What what are those hormones that are going to be going? So, is it is it that we spend time fighting for, as you said, the good? Is it, is are we going to use technology in, in ways to mobilize, like like you had mentioned earlier, for things that we want to advocate for, or is it going to be something? that's going to isolate people and, and not give people opportunities, but uh, you know, create more divisions uh, by isolating individuals, whether that's self-isolation or, or you know, through societal norms. Um, technology itself is going to, and is currently becoming, more independent of itself. It's, it's creating its own self-awareness, even to say, because we don't uh, respected at the moment, and we can kind of see it in my day-to-day -day lives, in my organization, and it, it, when I'm organizing, um, and even in, in the place of employment, that human connection is still the best way that I have seen to create happiness, whether it's just a conversation face-to-face, -face, whether it's, you know, just a hello, um, but uh, being able to to have that human factor interject is, is the way to go to happiness. But yeah, we do have to respect technology. And um, as it increasingly becomes part of our, our lives, um, it's going to cause some is issues. But the, the pathway, as you said, is, is respecting it. That's number one. So Priyan, do you think that as human beings who are creating technology, who are, we're, we're setting ourselves on this trajectory for 2100 with technology that you're saying is really accelerating, do you think that we have the capacity, are we prophetic enough to understand the consequences of the technology we're seeding? You know, can we understand the human impact or the impact on the planet of the technology that we're accelerating right now? One of the, one of the main, main concerns that we all have as people is, as humans and homo sapiens is, we have this thing, uh, we define it as technology. 
And we try to think of it as hardware and software and networks and all these things, but it, that's not what it really is. Because when it comes down to it, it's just information that's being exchanged. And how that information manipulates or changes uh, as it's going through the system is vitally what makes it conscientious or, or conscious, I guess. Not conscientious because that's not how it works. But um, do we know the outcomes? Of course not. I, I don't think we have any idea. Um, but I think it's good to be along for the ride. And I think it's important to interject. Mm -hmm. yeah. So Vicky, do you agree with what Priyan said that we should be maybe respectful or reverent towards technology and the power of technology? Like, how do you feel about that statement? Do you agree with him? Actually, I, I, I do. I, I felt that he answered that really well. I think that we, we don't fully understand, I guess, the consequences, as, as you were mentioning. But it, it is good to be along for the ride and also to inter interject and listen to intelligent minds that may potentially have some concerns about it. And as a collective, we need to develop uh, a, a way that um, it doesn't get away from us. Um, so that interjecting part is, is extremely important. So you think that we still have some ability to master the technology, to control the social impact of technology. Would you say that that's a, a fair statement around your feelings on, on the subject? That is a fair statement. Um, I've been reading a little bit on, on I guess, the subject of uh, technology and, and um, how quickly it is increasing. Percentage-wise, uh, there is a probability to uh, still be able to interject and, and manage it. But from what I was reading, that, that percentage is fairly low. <laughs> um, so it, it, it could be a, a, a bit scary, but uh, we're still, uh, I think what's important to note is that we're still at a point where we can potentially control that. So what kinds of governance structures do we need in place to ensure that technology sort of achieves social good? Like when we're thinking about, you know, you, you, you guys are organizers. You're doing a lot of work in different communities that are, that's focused around equity and inclusion and stuff like that. So what do you see needs to be in place so that technology actually serves the, the benefit of people, um, particularly from an equity perspective? Do you have any thoughts on that? So I guess at a very, very basic level, um, to come up with a, a core set of values that we have to ensure that the technology follows so that we, we can make sure that it's uh, inclusive and equitable and, um, I guess, again, em empathetic in a way. So I'm going to ask Priyan to sort of build on that. What, what does government look like in 2100 to you, if it's going to achieve those kinds of aims? I think governance is something that we've had and we will continue to have just because as Vic stated, we need some social values. We need, we need to be able to communicate with one another at the most basic levels. Um, governance in, the tw in 2100, I would hope, would require um, no politicians. Uh, yeah, I'm saying that, no politicians. But more of a direct democracy where people, I don't even want to use the word democracy, a direct engagement with whatever system that is. Um, you know, we have a lot to grow in terms of our governing structures and how we communicate with one another, and we have the tools today. So mm -hmm. it will change, 
there will be less politicians, hopefully none, and mm-hmm. more engagement from the communities, more at a grassroots level, I think, mm-hmm. and it's something that uh, ties in heavily into, um, into, as Vic said, talking about a value system. Right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this segment before we go to our music break with one last question for both of you about 2100. What are we eating in 2100? What does our food look like? Vicky, you can go first. <laughs> My hope uh, would be that it would just be kind of continue on the the trends that that's uh, happening right now. Um, there there is a, a trend leaning towards very healthy whole types of foods, and trying to keep it as natural as possible. Uh, locally grown foods. Uh, I feel like at a grassroots level in communities, uh, we ha- we're uh, trying to do that, uh, but it's very minimal right now. But it, um, if there is more of a focus on it, there's more of a buy-in, and more people want to see uh, that type of um, infrastructure for our food, and and um, ensuring that yeah, there, there's locally grown healthy food for. Uh, everyone and for the, the communities and to uplift um, people of poverty as well. Um, I, I, my hope is that we can actually continue on that path that we're on right now. That's, it, I mean, it is very, very small in the grand scheme of things. But if we really push, I, I'd say by 2100, we can achieve food security for, for everyone in, in that way. And yeah, and, and, and if it's done correctly, we shouldn't have any anybody starving anymore, no, no hunger. Because if we can manage our resources properly and then plan really well, I, I, I feel that we can actually, it is possible, we, we can um, feed everyone healthy, locally grown food the, using the technology that we have at hand and using it smartly, not based on just on, on profit and mass producing food. We, we can really achieve food security globally. Wow, that's a really big vision. Priyan, you get the last word on food before we go to the break. Um, I've got to ask you, are, are crickets part of, your, part of our uh, diet um, in, in 2100? And you can add other comments. But I had to ask you the cricket question. I don't, I don't see why not. And I don't, I, I'm pretty sure there's, there's a lot of people all over the world that eat very different things today. That's uh, true. Which uh, I would love to try. But... Uh, Vic was right about how we're kind of approaching food and food security. So mm-hmm. in 2100, who knows? I'm, I'm hoping that we are growing food in low Earth orbit and uh, being able to uh, ensure that the soil on the Earth mm-hmm. is left as naturally uh, as natural as possible so we can go back to a, a equilibrium, as Rick was saying earlier mm-hmm. as well. And in terms of uh, what we eat, nutrient-dense food, yeah, definitely. But I think by 2100, um, the vision would be more about, uh, um, you know, l- ensuring that we have longer lives in other ways, uh, preventative, not just by food, but by ensuring that the air is clean and the food that we eat is also clean because the air is cleaner. Um, the, the water that is on our planet is also, um, you know, much cleaner. So the food and the water that we drink uh, will cleanse our body in, in a much more efficient way than today. So I just need to point out that you heard it here first, folks. Priyan De Silva says we're going to be growing food in, in low orbit, low Earth orbit. So that we have that to look forward to. Um, so 
I think we are have arrived at the time for our first music break. After the break, we're going to hear more about the groups that uh, Priyan and Vicky are working with. You know, what hats are they wearing and what initiatives are they involved in? So what do we have on deck for our first music? Here is a song from the Montreal Experimental Music and Performance Art Collective, Yamantaka Sonic Titan. It's from their 2013 album, Uzu, and it is called Bring Me the Hand of the Bloody Benzitan. And welcome back to The Green Majority here on CAUT 89.5 FM uh, or on one of our wonderful, greatly appreciated radio syndicates or even a uh, on our podcast if you are listening in the future, which I always think is funny. Um, we, brought, we record live so often, and I always like the idea that we're someone way, way in the future. Maybe, perhaps, uh, throwback to the break before the break, uh, on, while farming uh, in suborbit. Maybe that's, maybe that's where they're listening to this podcast. In which case, uh, called it. Well done, sir. Uh, um, uh, but as, I feel like MA has kept us in suspense. Uh, again, we're, we're, we're here on planning to win conversation going on right now. Um, so can you two just sort of give me a sense of, of the work you do? Um, maybe, maybe I know you do uh, multiple groups, so maybe one of you take one, maybe you take the other, and jump back and forth. But yeah, what, what do you do? Well, uh, we work in different groups, some civic engagement groups, uh, some food security work, uh, some education, some monetary policy work. Um, both Vicky and I work together on a couple of tables. Uh, 42 Voices is a group that uh, Vicky and I are part of. It's a civic engagement group in, in Malvern. Uh, they're a uh, group focused around you know, getting people out to, to community meetings, just discuss what's required and how we can get mobilized. Um, you know, do needs assessments, know how to learn how to advocate for things. So, well, uh, that specific group is about you know getting together as a community and fighting for what you guys want or what we want. And it's a great process and a great group. It's it's uh, been a learning process with them. Um, and I think we can get more specifics if you want later. But uh, I'll hand it over to Vic. Yeah, uh, so over to Vicky. Um, no, that's right. Uh, over to Vicky, uh, you mentioned previously, and, and I know you do food things, and, and it was a little bit teased uh, by, by Amy in the first place. So what kind of food stuff? We actually work in multiple areas of the city, uh, but the two areas that we do a lot of our, our work in is uh, Malvern and Scarborough and the Bathurst Finch uh, area in North York. And in both of those areas, uh, we are part of uh, some community groups um, uh, that's based on f- food securities. Uh, so in Malvern, we're part of the food se- uh, Malvern Food Security Work Group. Um, and in Bathurst Finch, uh, we did actually create a resident-led group called the Social Action Group. And one of the focuses for 20, it was actually for 2017 and 2018, is food security as well. I'd say the one of the main things that we've uh, worked on in those uh, groups is um, being a part of community gardens, uh, building on those community gardens by planting uh, native species of plants, um, and then trying to apply to get a, a piece of the hydro corridor to build a, a micro farm. Um, but then other than that, the, the actual work of growing food that we've held uh, kind of some forums, community forums on food security um, to educate the, the residents, but also to get their input as well. 
Okay, so, so I, I know I, I teased a different question, but I actually I'm, I want you to talk to me at least first about these hydrocorners because I've I've heard them come up a, a couple times in different conversations. This the amount of potential that exists in the hydrocorners, and just for context for our listeners uh, who may not be in Toronto, uh, Toronto has these these areas basically of these very of high voltage lane lines that run uh, run through a big part of our city and underneath it is just green is just grass uh, because there's not a lot of things they put under it but there's a ton of land um, and, and so you can talk about sort of some of the potential that lies within utilizing those those hydrocorders uh, for food security yeah there, there's a lot of potential on the hydro corridors they, there seems to be um, not as much push for them. Uh, we've checked to see why, and a few reasons are, and, and I don't like to start with the negatives, but yeah, yeah. Um, we did use some uh, DDT uh, previously in the city to clear those, mm. those corridors, so they're not uh, ready uh, to be utilized in their natural state right now to grow food. It's not really healthy for us. So luckily in Malvern, we have about a four-acre uh, space uh, right by uh, McNichol area and uh, Finch, McNichol and Finch, Morningside, Morningside, I guess. Sorry, yeah. And uh, there is an opportunity for the community to create a functioning micro farm slash you know food security villa uh, in the in the space provided. So we're working on a two acre space there. But all over the city, there's there's tons of these like veins where you can. You, where you can start growing food, even if it's above ground. You know, it doesn't have to be in the soil. You can you can do those things. But there are these beautiful veins that have opportunity. Cool. Um, and so on that on that on that um, that note of of opportunity, um, and maybe you can sort of take this where you go. Um, in the vein of of sort of taking, we really center these around big picture, coming down to smaller picture. So. Uh, in, say, 2100, 80 years from now, what's sort of the fully v- realized version of some of the work you're doing? What, like, what is the ultimate version of... I feel like, in some ways, the civic engagement you sort of, ex- you sort of explained in the beginning of, of a conversation around, you know, this is what we are looking for uh, in a direct democracy kind of consistent way. Uh, but, but really, what is, you know everything goes exactly as you imagined it for like and, and it goes perfectly for the next 80 years and you get to sort of look back on what you've built what what do you see uh, for that for these two groups okay well for for the 42 voices group the civic engagement group I see um, a continuation and an evolution of how we see uh, civic engagement to be a lot of the people I meet here they they have a lot of life experiences. They have a lot of trauma. Some of them come from places uh, outside our country then bring a lot of trauma with them. And we work with that to, to, um, to advocate and heal through, the, through civic engagement. And I think there's that value piece. It's not just about, hey, the system of democracy. It's more about, hey, let's, let's talk about it and, and communicate about it and you know, become healthier, not just as a community, but individually, mentally, uh, you know, tie that in with the food as well. So the civic engagement group in 2100 is a, you know, this juggernaut that is um, helping communities to continually evolve and get better. And it's not just the only one that's there. Right, and Vicky, uh, what about uh, what about the food work? How how is how is, uh, how, is how are your community gardens uh, spreading across Toronto? Uh, I actually want to address um, one of the questions you asked about the hydro corridor Mm. and using the hydro corridors uh, in in the city. Um, Priyan's correct. In some of the areas, uh, the soil is not 
I, I'd say, clean enough to, to grow food. Um, but I think it seems to be in specific areas. Uh, I did see in Scarborough, it's not Malvern, but around Midland area uh, between, I'd say, Lawrence and Eglinton. Um, there is a community garden I, that I did see in the Hydro Corridor, and it's a huge community garden. So uh, I guess that area was, uh, the soil was uh, clean enough and fertile enough uh, to, to be able to use it, and they went ahead and actually built their, their community garden, and it's, it's fairly large. Um, and I guess you were asking about the the future of uh, the food work. Yeah, yeah. So take so to sort of take if, if if everything you've been working on continues to succeed, uh, you know, for the next eighty years, and you get to sort of be a hundred and and look back at, at at what's been built. What what do you see? I see us using all possible areas uh, to actually grow food, um, unused areas that's. Uh, let's say not being utilized for for anything um and it's not ecologically sensitive that we we you know damage an area just to grow some food but um areas within the city that let's say we're not building uh any infrastructure on but it's kind of uh kind of vacant um and if it's f uh fertile enough we can uh grow food and and it doesn't have to be um like specific crops it could even be like uh, trees or fruit trees or um, and, and even try to mimic uh, how food just grows naturally just in the wild like having wild uh, berries and, and specifically um, uh, native species of plants uh, where um, it they contain like fresh food um, that's available but it actually uh, doesn't really require too much uh, human interaction, so it doesn't necessarily require a lot of work. It it just kind of grows on its own. It's it's great for the ecosystem in the sense that it's great for um, our pollinators, um, and then it's it's great for us as well. That um, again, if we're gonna we we would like to eradicate poverty, and we don't want anybody going hungry, and that uh, the only way to to actually access food is that you have to have. Uh, a certain amount of funds, and you have to get yourself to a grocery store. Um, if if uh, it's food is just kind of growing naturally, um, the the way that it would grow in the wild, um, and that's easily accessible. Uh, I think that would solve a lot of the the issues that that we're currently seeing, um, especially uh, especially in terms of um, access to uh, affordable food. Yeah, and he, uh, I want to drill down a little bit on that on that conversation around. You keep coming back to sort of food as an access towards poverty, and especially one of the one of the major criticisms uh, of, uh, around around most actions against climate change is that it will make everything cost more. Um, and, you know, especially you know a carbon tax. One of the one of the big difficulties around surrounding carbon tax is that it would raise the costs of goods, and there are a lot of people out there who you know can already struggling to get enough food. And so, and so for me, community gardens are are, are, are a necessity within this conversation. Um, but so, is, can you sort of expand on that? How how you can use community gardens in food work to to sort of do both to both address environmental problems, uh, you know, of both you know GHG emissions and of, of, the, of those natures, but then also how it can address the sort of the social inequalities of of expe expecting people to sort of just need to have money to get food. So I was 
at a, on Sewell's Road in Malvern where they hand out food. Um, it's a food bank. It's you know not really a bank, but it's a food bank where people come and donate these this these canned goods. You know, not not things that are really healthy for you. And what these systems that are already set up in terms of uh, of food and, and poverty is that we we have ex- we have excess, but we we're not you know we don't want canned processed food. We we want to have good food that's grown in community gardens because we can tie those two together by ensuring that people um, are able to have access to food that's going to actually get them healthier uh, to to get them to a place where they can get this food and make decisions that that are not about their stomach or about their health or about their children's health, but more about, hey, I want to become an entrepreneur. Um, I want to invest my time searching for that rather than, you know, you know, um, get, getting into the cycle of, of getting this unhealthy food, uh, being part of a system that doesn't really solve the issue. Um, and the community garden kind of fit into that mold when we started to take the food that was there excessively because we had a lot of food. Toronto has some great soil um, and can get better. But yeah, the, the amount of food that, that was made was like, hey, we, this is amazing for a couple of gardeners to get together and, and kind of do this as a community project. And not only did it go to, to the food bank, it actually went to uh, community programs where, for example, seniors who wanted to meet up. Um, they meet up every Monday in one of our buildings, uh, the buildings that, that are in the neighborhood, and they cook together. So it's addressing a lot of seniors that I talk to are, um, you know, living uh, in, in places, in, in, in lives that we wouldn't expect to live in at that age, you know, financially, uh, family-wise, all that. So these are the things that kind of tie the poverty with food, but at the same time, you know, understanding that the amount of food that we created with the amount of space that we had, the impact that had on the environment in that neighborhood was amazing. Like we saw pollinators. I saw monarch butterflies. I've, I haven't seen as many monarch butterflies anywhere in that neighborhood as I did in that community garden. And it, it's one of those things where you can have both. Um, it's just fitting it into into a way where where you know we get rid of these old systems that don't really help um, advocate for healthy food for better lifestyle, to increase your, your ability to, uh, to gain capital in your life. So it, it kind of all ties in together. How we fit that, I think, depends on each part of our city here and, and our province, because I know what works out east. Mm. Yeah, and I, I, so that's an, so one last question before we go. Is that sort of bit about, we talk about local uh, all the time in different versions of you know, environmentalism. Localism is, is, is all the rage, quote unquote. But I feel like we never get to the level of local in which you just mentioned, right? You just said that, like, you just mentioned that it it is it is it works in this particular part of the city. We think of local as a hundred square miles, two hundred square miles. Not even yet. You're talking about something of maybe you know of the of the Malvern community in Scarborough, um, and I think there's something there about the the hyper locality of, of 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 being really embedded in particular communities within you know within a small enough range of people that you can know everyone that you can be you can be a true community versus versus the scale of what we normally think of as local. You know, local food normally means, you know, that a farmer could have driven it to you, whereas you're talking about local food as like, no, this is a community, and, and they're, that, they're that close. Do you think there's something important about, about it being 
uh, but bringing local to to a truly neighborhood sense uh, versus a sort of a locality of of, of you know cities uh, or even honestly at this point if you you could quote unquote eat local and eat all of Ontario and that's like that's a 15 hour drive to get out of Ontario and you're still eating quote unquote local food. Uh, whereas you're talking about, you know, a 15 minute walk perhaps. Do you think there's something important about, about addressing these issues at that level of, of direct person to person nature? Yes. <laughs> Do you want me to expand on yeah, that? Yeah, that'd be amazing. Please. Uh, we can. I, you know, we're, we're going through this transitioning phase, um, in getting away from fossil fuels, turning to renewable energy, and we need to talk. Right, and and these are some of the, the things that we really need to talk about because the community garden that we have isn't going to necessarily work in North York, where where we work as well, just because of how people are and how we connect and what we connect through. Um, so, we design a system that's completely different. Um, not we personally, but the community itself, mm-hmm. and we define what the community is. So, um, it, it's a really interesting piece, but it is one of those things where you personally have to get involved and know your neighbors, and and um, you know what? It's not even knowing your neighbors in a sense that oh, I know my neighbors. It's more like hey, listen, what happens when that your buddy's next door's basement floods, right? Oh, this I garden with this guy. I know like he's, I gotta save his seeds. I got to make sure I get his plants out. Like, no, it's like serious, serious help, right? And climate change is going to cause those things. Mm -hmm. So the more local we can go, the better it is. And and it it kind of provides the foundation for um, personal success, but also uh, to build your neighborhood in a way that people can be proud of in 2100, right? Like, what, what, like, yeah, get that local. Um, <laughs> know your neighbor. <laughs> so just to add to that, uh, I, I feel that it is kind of difficult to define local um, because as you're mentioning, local can be um, like all of Ontario. It can, it can even be uh, all of Canada. Um, that's still considered, it, to me, that's still considered if I see something that's made in Canada, it, it's fairly local to me. Um, or it can be at the, the community and neighborhood level. Uh, but I think that it does look different in different areas. Uh, and I know that we spoke about Malvern a lot, the food security work that's being done in Malvern. Um, but the, just to highlight some of the food security work that we've been doing in, in North York, uh, there are some small businesses, some uh, local like local farms, um, Fresh City Farms in Downsview Park. Uh, that's a, a, a local area. Um, they have uh, a lot of greenhouses, and, and everything is just uh, grown right there. Um, and then they have a, a lot of programs uh, that they offer as well. Uh, but it, it's not just uh, Fresh City Farms. There, there are um, other forms of, um, I, I'd say, small businesses as well. Um, we, we know someone personally who started a, a farm in his backyard. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how... how how many acres it is, and, but he's done an amazing job. He, he uh, built a greenhouse by himself with, with the materials, and um, he, he's built a lot uh, by, um, by himself, uh, and he, he's been coming to some of the community events uh, since we decided to collaborate with him um, and so that he can sell his, his produce. Uh, and it's, it's very, that's very local, and what he, his vision is is to... Uh, he would like to see every, let's say, lawn um, in, in residential areas have some form of uh, capacity to, to grow food. 
so I, I do feel that the local can look different in different areas. Like Malvern, we, we have the community gardens. So, some areas, they might not be able to do community gardens, but, um, you know, a, a small business can be growing locally, growing food. Uh, but as long as the, the community members can come together or the neighborhoods or even, like, a, a larger area can come together and... and Figure out how that would look and, and work uh, for their their areas. Um, I feel that uh, as long as it's collaborative, um, different areas can kind of figure out how that that would work for them and work for everyone in their their uh, communities to to just uplift everyone and make sure that there's no one who who's kind of left behind, health wise and, and even like socially. All right, on that positive note, uh, we'll, uh, we'll go to our next music break. Uh, Dave Artek, uh, what do we listen to? This is a song called Dark Lights from the Montreal experimental post-rock band Bell Orchestre from their 2009 album As Seen Through Windows. And we are back on the Green Majority on CIUT or one of our many wonderful community partner stations, or maybe you're listening on the podcast. I am sitting in studio here with Stefan Hostetter and our wonderful guests, Priyanka Silva and Vicki Jute, and we are talking about action that is happening on terms of civic discourse and food security at local level. So... You've both shared many examples of terrific initiatives that are happening. Um, And so I want to just take a a deeper dive into what might be holding back some of the types of work you're doing, some of the types of initiatives. What barriers exist that if we could remove them or things we could do to sort of unlock the potential would really make a big difference in terms of getting us on the path that you want us to to be on for that 2100 vision. So who's up? I think Priyan's up. I see the look in his eye. He wants to answer this question. You know, how do we unlock that potential? Just a few things that come to mind. The biggest thing is stepping back and letting the kids do their thing. Like seriously, I have the wonderful opportunity to work with young people and uh, every day they blow me away, every day. And I think we as a society have to learn to trust them more uh, and uh, you know we're, we're going to be taking the place of the baby boomers in a couple of decades and we will be the barriers so we really need to learn how to let go and, and uh, let the future do their thing because they know what they're doing so these guys are going to inherit the earth um, they're going to presumably inherit some very huge local and global challenges what about the work you do is helping them get ready for those. You say we need to get out of the way. I presume you're also doing some other things other than just getting out of the way. Um, or maybe there's, a, there's something to that process of, of getting out of the way that is helping build the resilience and uh, ingenuity in these young people. Yeah, it's, it's one of those uh, wonderful things that when, you know, today I had a, a young person come up to me and, and ask me, you know, we need to... Um, put these filters on these uh, mufflers of cars. And I said, yeah, you know, that's, that's really cool. But uh, um, 
you know, there's electric cars now. And, and this person looked at me like, oh, yeah, I don't have to worry about this because we're not going to be driving those types of cars. Um, and they are, they're already ready for that. They've, they've come up with the solution. This person was thinking about a solution to the problem, which was we need to put some filters on. And I'm thinking, oh, man, what was I thinking? And this is a 12-year-old. So I'm thinking, what, what the hell was I doing? It? Sorry. What, what was I doing when I was 12, thinking about pollution coming out of the back of a car? No, that's not what I was doing. And um, not only that, the, the students I work with currently uh, got a grant to build a garden in our school. So they, they know how to use the system. Uh, and, you know, a little bit of coaching, I think, is necessary in terms of, of uh, understanding what the vital pieces of, the, of those uh, puzzles, that vital pieces of the system are, um, so that they can explain their views a little bit uh, in simpler or, or in, in better language that, that we can understand. Um, but yeah, another thing is that they know how to mobilize. They can mobilize in ways that my generation and the previous generations never could, uh, you know, and they're not afraid to use it. Uh, they have the gumption online, which is something that uh, I do not have. My generation, I don't know, has, but uh, they do. They, they won't back down from those fights. And, and Vicky, how about you? If there was something that you could see unblocked or resource better or something of that nature, what would it be that would really sort of unleash the full potential of the work you're doing on, on the world? Uh, well, I, I think there are many things that may be specific barriers, but uh, I guess to, to just speak from a broader sense, if we can change some of the old systems, uh, I, th I think that would help. Uh, some of the old systems um, worked really well at a specific point in time, but they might not be working as well right now. So uh, there's always a need to continually evolve and, and change and amend uh, areas and laws and policies and um, so that it can be more efficient and serve uh, the, the population better and, and include everyone. And uh, I mean, I, and I, I guess I can go a little bit specific. Uh, uh, one of the barriers that's holding, let's say, us back in um, in Malvern, uh, in, in the microform that we're, we're, we're looking to build is uh, getting a hold of public spaces that might have uh, become a little bit more private. Um, once the, some of those public spaces be, become private, it becomes really difficult. Uh, so I, I, that, that's one specific barrier that if that was removed um, and we were able to uh, collectively, um, as a community, come up with a, how we will utilize the space to, to actually ensure food security, that would uh, benefit us a lot. Yeah, that's really interesting talking about the relationship between the actions that we want to see happen and, and the space for organizing, the space for planting. Um, space can play a kind of magic role, I think, in when people are convened, you know, being able to go to a local space and then generate ideas together. So I want to I wanna zoom in actually on the two of you. So we want to look at all these things that are happening in the world around us, but that also like affects us personally. And, you know, something that I found very unique in getting to know both of you, and, and maybe it's time for a big reveal if people don't already know, you're, I mean, you're life partners, right? So, and you've, you've taken some really interesting decisions together in your life 
to model some of the the values that you're trying to do in your work. Um, if you're willing to share some of those decisions and experiences um, with our listeners, I think that would be really interesting to see how, how do those relate to the kind of community work that you're doing? What decisions have you made in your life that you feel have really kind of helped you focus on this work or, you know, helped you think about things or experience things in a different way? I don't think I should go first because I'll get in trouble. <laughs> he's dodging the question, Vicky. Um, oh, well, he's going to go first. Okay, well, <laughs> well, I think this is, this is, I've had these conversations with a lot of my friends recently uh, in terms of, because a lot of them are, are finding life partners and trying to figure things out. Um, yeah, Vicky and I have given up a lot. We have gained each other more. And I think just our lifestyle, how we, how we kind of see what our goals are and how we create those goals. And, um, you know, like I'm not perfect. Um, and Vic understands that. So I'm on my journey to, to be more climate friendly, be more, um, you know, a better human being. And that journey's brought along, you know, giving up fossil fuels as much as possible, uh, trying to eat a lot less, you know, animal products, um, uh, making more conscientious uh, decisions on, on where, uh, you know, I buy my things, my, you know, if I ever do need to be a part of consumerism. Uh, yeah, it's been a, an interesting journey. I, I've given up a lot of stuff, but I think I've, personally, I think I've gained so much back that it's, it's, it's a really cool journey. I, but I'm not going to get into specifics. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> How about you, Vicky? Um, I think one major factor uh, that I realized, uh, especially personally, is uh, passion. Um, when you're, you're driven by passion, you're kind of willing to, to give up certain things. Not, not saying that you actually have to give anything up, but, but being driven by passion, I feel that I've gained a lot. And even, even uh, together with Priyan, I feel that we've gained a lot as well. Um, and uh, things that w we do um, and everything that we're involved in becomes fun. And, and I, I think it's important that it's fun uh, because if it's, it's not, then you'll probably not want to, to do the work that you're doing for too long. Um, and I was actually having a conversation with uh, one of our mentors in uh, the North York area in, in Bathurst Finch, and she said, that uh, something like we will do things out of the goodness of our heart, but that's that's still not en enough um, because doing something out of the goodness of your heart, it, it, you you'll still kind of get burnt out. But I, I think that it, it definitely has to be fun. You have to be passionate about it. Uh, focus on on the things that that you you, you think is important. And uh, what's extremely uh, important is that you take your your breaks. Um, uh, make sure you, you take some time for yourself, uh, take a vacation, and, and really uh, plan it out in, in the sense that uh, don't try to take on way too much. Take on what you're able to, to handle. Um, and I, I need to take some of that advice myself. Sometimes I take on uh, way too much. Um, but it, it has to be something that uh, you, you'd be able to handle. Uh, and one last thing I'd like to add... Um, uh, when uh, for me, certain things that I do, uh, it, it's just that it's it's something that I, I unconsciously 
think of it. It's it's uh, unconsciously in my mind. I, I'm not consciously thinking about um, how do I do something in an eco-friendly way or environmentally friendly way. It, it's just at the back of my mind, and and therefore a lot of the actions I I take and a lot of the things I do or a lot of the things that people point out that I do. Um, uh, for example, Priyan said one time he's like, "You're always on, aren't you?" And <laughs> and I realized it's I, I wasn't consciously thinking about the, the actions I take. It's just at the back of my mind. It's it's just always there, um, and I think that's where the, the passion comes from. So it's become second nature. So that's a perfect segue, sort of, to the the last question. I'll start with you, Vicky. What gives you joy in this world? What gives me joy is uh being able to make an impact to be able to contribute to something larger than myself um, to to try to be able to uh, picture uh, or to be able to see the the larger picture and when you can see that your your small actions uh, do contribute to a larger impact, it's, it's very, very fulfilling. Uh, and sometimes I've had people say that, you know what, your, your small actions, it actually doesn't really make that much of a difference. Um, and it's, it's kind of true. It's, it actually, it's very true. It, it doesn't make that much of a difference. But at the same time, I still can't justify to myself to, to just act like reckless and <laughs> um, or, or to, to just, you know, kind of give up and say, well, you know what, everybody around me is not thinking about this. Uh, they're just doing what uh, I guess we've been told to do uh, in a way, or, or just maybe not questioning things. But I, I just can't bring myself to to do that. Uh, even, even if I don't have that much of an impact in the grand scheme of things, I still want to continue on the, the path that I'm um, going. Uh, and finally, uh, one thing that I, I realized that even uh, though I'm just one person, uh, a lot of people that I've met, I, I say uh, recently, um, has said that I am influencing them to, to actually be more conscious and, and more environmentally conscious and, and, just, and even more socially conscious. So um, I think that's, that's a huge positive for me that uh, when other people start, you know, start to think about things and what they can do, um, collectively, we, we do have a, a big impact. <laughs> yeah, and I would say that's true of how my observations of your work, you're, you're activating other people and you're amplifying, you know, the collective voice. So Priyan, over to you. Final word. What gives you joy? Victoria. Oh, well, well said. <laughs> uh, yeah, seriously, I think it's, Vic had, you know, put it down pro like perfectly. Uh, it's making the changes and, and seeing it happen and being able to do it with somebody that you enjoy doing it with and, you know, that challenges you. So, yeah, that's what brings me joy. Well, I don't think we can find a better note than that to end off on. Thanks to you both for being in the studio with us today. And thanks to all of our listeners. I hope you're as energized and inspired as I am from this episode and have a great green week. Thank you.